The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. They've clearly politicized it. You know, they say that I'd be, I'm not political at all, period. I've never been, and anybody who knows anything about me knows that that's the case. But it is very clear when people are running their campaigns mm-hmm. with an anti-Fauci element to it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Some, some comedy gold to uh, start off this good Monday morning for you. We're back from... Uh from a busy, uh, a busy break, actually. It was also very enjoyable, very restful and relaxing here over the Thanksgiving holiday on uh, the headquarters campus of uh, Armstrong College. We certainly appreciate you joining us again, our growing audience. This, of course, is Stephen Flurry, and uh, you're watching The Trumpet Daily. You can get to our, uh, our live uh, video stream of this show through our website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash Live. I'm not catching uh, the uh, audio in my ear, gents in the studio. We're a little rusty coming back after a few days of turkey and mashed potatoes. In any event, uh, you can get to the live uh, video stream through the website. You can also order all of our literature at the trumpet.com website as well, the 800 number in case we plug some material that you can order from one of our operators who are standing by. That's one 930 3024 so there's Tony Fauci. He's not political at all. I mean, if, if a Republican is out there who disagrees with what we did to, to flatten the curve, all of the lockdowns, destroying the economy, if you disagree with that, then you're political. You're biased. But not Tony Fauci. I mean, he's, he said over the weekend, basically, that he got the idea for the lockdowns from the communist Chinese. And now the Chinese are taking to the streets, ordinary Chinese citizens who've been abused by these authoritarian, draconian measures that have just gone on now for over two years. They're taking to the streets in protest. And so here come the talking heads and the fake scientists in the United States trying to draw a distinction between what America did and what China did. In fact, we followed in the steps of China What a dreadful year that was for so many Americans and businesses in America, the year 2020. Just give us 15 days to slow the spread. Tony Fauci's out there being exposed now. He was quiet for a time, but now he comes back. Now he comes back. He goes straight to the networks, as always. This is no doubt the most interviewed celebrity. That's who he is the most interviewed celebrity in all of the United States, listen to him, defending, basically defending China and uh, and going after Donald Trump because he was anti-China, right? So you got to pin the blame on Trump. We need more dialogue. And really, China, they're just reacting to the policies of the bad orange man. This coming from the man who said with a straight face, he's not political at all. This is clip two. You, you know what we need, Margaret? We need a, 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 
transparency and a collaboration to open things up so that we could discuss it in a non-accusatory exactly. way. What happens is that if you look at the anti-China approach that clearly the Trump administration had right from the very beginning and the accusatory nature, the Chinese are going to flinch back and say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk mm -hmm. to you about it, which is not correct. But they they're not talking be. to the Biden administration about it either. Exactly. I think that horse is out of the barn and they're very suspicious of anybody trying to accuse them. They're very suspicious overall now because of Donald Trump. He knows, he, he's certain about the fact that Trump was anti-China. Trump was just talking about the origins of it. And this man, Tony Fauci, covered it up. He was trying to cover his tracks, trying to cover all these connections between the U.S., the NIH, the funding for the Wuhan lab. And so they lied. They lied. We talked about the lying wonders of those Laodicean ministers in the seventh and final era of God's church. We talked about this 30 years ago, and this is what you're seeing on display in the United States right now. Lying wonders, signs and wonders, like it says over in 2 Thessalonians 2. It's hard to watch, as I've said so many times before. You get this book, though, America Under Attack, and this book, like no other book, exposes, I mean, it fully exposes the intentions of these communists and everything that they did once COVID leaked out of that lab or was it sent out from that lab? It's certainly been weaponized. There's no doubt about that and you can read all about it in America Under Attack. This is from uh, American Greatness. Fauci's caught up in a, a lawsuit down in Louisiana. It says Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry reportedly kept a copy of Robert Kennedy's Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, on the table in front of Fauci. This was going on during the deposition. So Fauci's deposed. We can't get transcripts of that yet. They're going to try to they're going to work overtime to make sure that transcript is kept covered. There's still a few details, though, that have leaked out. We'll get to that in just a second. But here's this attorney. He's going after Anthony Fauci, and he's got the real Anthony Fauci book right on his table. We've talked about that book before on this show. Good for him. It says here, Dr. Anthony Fauci on Wednesday, so this is last week, responded to questions under oath from the attorneys, the attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana in their lawsuit against the federal government for allegedly colluding with multiple big tech platforms to censor disfavored speakers, viewpoints, and content critical of COVID-19 vaccines and policies. So here's Fauci and company working with big tech to blot out, to censor those who would dare disagree with him. If you disagree with him, you're political. You're biased. This is, a, again, from American Greatness. It says, if there are oversight hearings, I absolutely will cooperate fully and testify before the Congress if asked. This is quoting Fauci, who has asked this recently. What about if you're subpoenaed and uh, you have to come and testify? He says that he will. But we've seen some of those testimonies before where he's stonewalled, where he's, uh, he's looked at senators and said, you're lying, you're political says here, this, that was White House advisor Tony Fauci last Tuesday. Further on, it says, it was amazing, literally. This is uh, referring to some of the lawyers that deposed Fauci last Wednesday. It was amazing, literally, that we spent seven hours with Dr. Fauci, 
This is a man who single-handedly wrecked the U.S. economy based upon the science. Follow the science, Landry told the Epoch Times. We discovered that we can't, we can't recall practically anything dealing with the COVID response. He just said, I don't recall. Uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, don't understand your question. He stonewalled the whole way. And yet even still, seven hours worth, some interesting tidbits leaking out now. Zero Hedge had something to say about that. The transcript not being available yet, but hopefully, hopefully we'll get to that soon enough. The question of whether the deposition was to be public was itself the subject of legal attention. Further on, nonetheless, we do have information thanks to some candid tweets and an article by one of the plaintiffs. It says the main takeaways is that Fauci has come down with a serious case of amnesia. He just, you know, it's been two years. It's been two years. I don't recall. We'll, we'll probably, if we see, if we ever see the transcript, we'll see a lot of that, I'm sure. I don't recall at this time. This is, uh, again, from one of those uh, attorneys general. It says here, wow. It was amazing to spend seven hours with Dr. Fauci, the man who single-handedly wrecked the U.S. economy. Well, that was quoted previously in, in the article. Zero Hedge breaks down, though, some of the lies and the contradictions that this man has uttered over the last couple years that, since he's become a household name. It says here, Fauci is a skillful liar. This is Zero Hedge. As we've seen now for months in his public comments, he lies when he feels he can get away with it or when he feels there will be no meaningful consequences. And of course, if you disagree with him, just to add to this, then you're censored. That's what this whole lawsuit is about. The fact that anyone with differing opinions, they're basically just blotted out. I watched with a few people here last night, I watched uh, Died Suddenly, I mentioned that just before the break last week, about all of these, these mysterious clots, and, and they're not even, in this movie, they're not even calling them blood clots. It's just some kind of substance, some black substance that they're, they're pulling out of these cadavers, pulling out of arteries. It's just, you would think it would, it would at least warrant a discussion of some kind. But they've got this, I forget his first name, uh, Kirsch, I believe, is his last name. Again, a prominent guy. And a lot of them, we've quoted, we've played clips for them uh, on this show. But they're not given a voice. They're not even considered. The one guy said he emailed, I think this was Kirsch, he emailed like 300 people at the CDC. He doesn't even get a response. Hey, have you looked at this data that's coming out of Israel about all of these vaccine side effects? Not even a response. You can go to the VAERS site even now. I mentioned it more last year when it was pushing toward 20,000 reported deaths due to the vaccine. Right now it's sitting at 32,000. And as I told you many times last year, a lot of people say only about 1% of the people actually go to the, the, the time, family members this would be, to go to the VAERS site and to report these adverse events. 32,000 people dying because of the vaccine? These are skillful liars. Zero Hedge says, Fauci frequently lied unless and until he was confronted with alternative, uh, alternate facts. For example, he claimed he really wasn't familiar with Ralph uh, Barrick or Peter Daszak. 
until he was confronted with evidence that his own chief of staff emailed him describing Daszak and Barrick as being part of Fauci's team. Another one, Fauci claimed, claimed that he had no knowledge that his communications team did not coordinate with social media companies to stop misinformation and disinformation. In other words, to stop what went out that disagreed with his opinion. He's science, and he said so many times. He represents science, and to disagree with him is to be either anti-science, anti-vaccine, or politically motivated. Another one, Fauci continued to push the now debunked assertion that COVID-19 was a naturally occurring virus. He did this for months, and he knew it wasn't. Emails that have been revealed since then have shown he lied. These are lying wonders. Fauci refused to define gain-of-function research, saying it was too broad of a term to define. So he just tries to, you know, steer clear of it. Just not even go there. Don't even get into it. Because then you got to talk about what, what, what went on in the Wuhan lab and, and how they were experimenting with these viruses and how it leaked then out from that lab. It says here, Fauci is a hypochondriac in a bizarre and stunning segment during the deposition. Fauci blew off uh, some of his frustration on a poor court reporter. The court reporter transcribing the depos deposition sneezed. And Fauci stopped the deposition and scolded the reporter. What's wrong with you? He was several feet away from her, by the way. You can't even sneeze. People are sneezing all, all, all over the place. But now, in the age of Fauci, he wasn't wearing a mask at the deposition, by the way. He scolds the court reporter and says, you should be wearing a mask. She has allergies, and she sneezed. And this was his opportunity to break away from the uncomfortable questioning he was getting and to scold this report, just like he scolded so many in America, and he still does, asked yesterday whether we should have lockdowns this winter. He said, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the region. More lockdowns? So, so still kind of go in the direction of China. And even in China, they're rising up against the government, the communist government. These are amazing times we're living in, perilous times, an upside-down world. In another Fauci hypochondria spasm, Fauci cons conspicuously mean-mugged Louisiana Attorney Je General Jeff Landry after Landry sneezed into his suit coat jacket. So there's Fauci being deposed. He can't remember anything. He lies if he can get away with it. He pins the blame on subordinates. He'll throw them under the bus, no problem. And if you sneeze, he is quick to make you feel like you're committing murder. That's right. Remember those days? If you don't wear a mask, you're going to murder grandma. If you don't get a vaccine, you're going to be guilty of murder. Oh, yes. And then now the uprising in China and they kind of break away a little bit from the CCP and say, well, now that th those were lockdowns with really no uh, destination in sight. We're, you see, we're much more righteous than the Chinese communists because we had a purpose to it, you see. And it really produced results, didn't it? I speak as a fool. 
Fauci repeatedly claimed that he couldn't recall or couldn't remember and attempted to bolster these incredible statements by appealing to the volume of emails he would receive or issues or studies that would come across his desk. I mean, I read so much. I mean, I, I can't really comment on that. I'm, I, I can't recall at this time. I just can't recall. Other Fauci deceit tactics, throwing subordinates under the bus, and on and on it goes. This was Fauci with CBS over the weekend, talking about how that we may need to have more lockdowns going forward. Clip five. Coming out of the holidays, should parents expect schools to shut down? I don't know, uh, uh, Margaret. I'm not sure. You know, the upper northeast may be quite different from the southwest, from the, from the, from the Pacific coast, from the upper northwest. So you have to have the local authorities evaluate on a situation-by-situation situation basis. It's a situation-by-situation situation basis as to whether or not schools, and keep, keep in mind, floods of, of data, it's coming in now. The cure, worse than the, the disease, forget about the 32,000 on the VAERS site, and that's just the deaths. That's the worst of it. All the people that have suffered through uh, these side effects, that have taken them out of their sporting event or their work environment or whatever it is, is it, shouldn't you at least discuss it? I, I made the point last week on this program, one of our viewers who sent in an email saying how that until 2020, or I guess the vaccine came out at the end of that year, so it's only, it's only in 2021 and 2022 that we're seeing all these adverse reactions. But right up until that time, any drug any drug that, that, well, there's a commercial for this drug or that drug or this vaccine or that vaccine, you know how they hyperspeed it at the end to go through all of the side effects, just so that you know. And like was brought out on this uh, documentary last night, died suddenly. You used to take a vaccine and you just opened the spread of all the contents, the ingredients, the potential side effects. But with this... The COVID vaccine, it's just blank. It's a blank page. You just take it. You trust Tony Fauci. Put it in your arm. Inject it into your blood. And don't just do it once. Do it four, five, six times. They're saying now that we need them twice a year to keep up with the ever-changing variants. These vaccines are killing people. That's the truth. That's the truth. And they get up and they lie. Lying wonders. It's perfect. Just take the jab. Take this, this untested, untried drug that we made in, in just a matter of months. And just believe us. Forget about all the rumors you've heard. Forget about the fact that maybe your own family members have suffered from debilitating side effects of some kind. Forget about the statistics that are on the VAERS website even. Forget about all of those highly educated PhDs out there that have been blotted out. They have no voice. It's just the one narrative. Do what we say. Listen to Fauci as he tries to explain the difference between, well, the way that they did the lockdowns in China and the way that we're doing. I mean, he, he, in, in some ways he praises it. He just said, you know, we just don't go as far as they do. That's essentially what he's saying. This is clip seven. Well, their approach has been very, very severe and rather draconian in the kinds of shutdowns 
without a seeming purpose. I mean, if you're having a situation, if you could recall, you know, almost three years ago when we were having our hospitals overrun, you remember the situation in New York City, you had to do something immediately to shut down that flow. So remember, we were talking about flattening the curve and the social distancing and restrictions and shutdown, which was never really complete, is done for a temporary period of time for the purpose of regrouping, getting more personal protective equipment, getting people vaccinated. It seems that in China, it was just a very, very strict, extraordinary lockdown where you lock people in the house, but without any seemingly end game to it. We, we just did it for a temporary period of time. In China, they're more strict. I mean, they lock you in your house. They're, they're building all these detention camps, by the way. You've seen footage of that, no doubt, over the weekend. Some huge camp for, for something like 90,000 people. I mean, no one's denying it's worse in China. They couldn't quite rob the United States of all of its freedoms, thanks to the Constitution or what's left of it. But in China, I mean, you catch the COVID, they're going to go drag you out of your house and put you into a camp. This, this whole uprising, by the way, in China, and, and I mean, this is serious. Even some of the talking heads, the communist talking heads in the media are alarmed by what's happening in China. The White House coming out with its weak statement. <laughs> in one of the, right at the end of the White House's statement today, we've long said everyone has the right to peacefully protest, except for the January 6th people. But look, we're, we're, we're not going to really, we're not going to show strong support for these protesters in China. I mean, they're dragging a BBC reporter through the street. This is the uprising in China. What could be an uprising? You would think there would be a strong show of support for the protesters from Fauci, from Joe Obama. But no, it's got to be very guarded because keep in mind, keep in mind, all of these people are sellouts to the CCP. So LeBron James isn't going to rush to the, the, the Twitter platform and say, here, I'm 100% behind the protesters. They make too much money from the CCP. And so do most of America's politicians. This is from Wall Street Journal. It says protests erupt, erupting in major cities in China over President Xi Jinping's zero tolerance approach to COVID-19, an unusual show of defiance in the country as the economic and social costs from snap lockdowns and other strict restrictions escalate. It says here, demonstrations occurred throughout the weekend in all of these places it mentions. It says the protests followed demonstrations on Friday uh, in uh, Yurumki, capital of the remote region of Xinjiang, where a deadly fire enraged residents who had struggled with lockdowns of more than 100 days. Residents flooded social media with comments suggesting that COVID restrictions contributed to the delay in putting out the fire. Some have said that COVID restrictions prevented these people from leaving a burning building because they were locked in there like in a prison camp. So the Chinese authorities, they couldn't even get in there to put out the fire. The cure, it's worse than the disease. The cure is killing us. And evidence, as I say, continues to pour forth, showing just that. Listen to Jim Shuto. This is over at CNN. 
as he talks a lot about lockdowns and, and masks and, 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 and so on. L listen to what he says about the Chinese now, the Chinese people that are defiantly taking off their mask in protest against their draconian government measures sent out by the CCP. This is clip six. Jim, there have been signs of dissent, but do you think that this new wave of anger is posing a bigger challenge for Xi Jinping's government? It is definitely posing a challenge to the government. The question is, how big of a challenge? Because this is a government that has built a security apparatus over two decades precisely to control this kind of thing. Because when you look at the protests, they're not small and isolated. They are often involving hundreds of people out in public places, as Selena mentioned, with their masks off, allows them to be easily identified. And that is an act of courage in this country, because this is a country that tracks every act of dissent. It knows who you are. And it punishes those people. It's an enormous risk to do what these people are doing to challenge the government. They're saying no to lockdowns, yes to freedoms. They mention freedom of the press. They mention uh, freedom of speech. They mention freedom of action. These are things explicitly forbidden in China. These are the same people. This, this guy and all the rest. They're the same people that heaped all of that praise on China and the CCP in 2020. Hey, yeah, we need to follow suit. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're draconian measures and we won't go quite that far. But look, we've got to slow the curve here. We've got to flatten the curve. So they praise China. Who can forget that New York Times reporter saying we needed to be more like China? And that's essentially what Fauci said. If you read between the lines. We need to be like China. And then the scorn, the shaming. If you dare, if you dare take off that mask, you are guilty of killing grandma. And then they took the same argument into 2021 with the vaccine. You got to do what we say. And now here's this uprising in China. And the talking heads, are, they're in a kind of in between the rock and the hard place. Let's see here. Which side are we on here? Because we kind of like what the CCP did, but I mean, they took it too far and now the citizens are right and they're showing courage by what? By taking off the mask. These people will say and do anything. And it doesn't matter if it fully contradicts what they said two seconds ago. They are just like, like your Bible says, they are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong. There's definitely an agenda. There's definitely a bias. But it's laughable how childish these, these commentators are. It's laughable and really shameful just how on a whim they'll change their position. What does it say in James 1? Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man. There's instability there. That's why you, you, you turn on the news, if you do, and you're just treated to a steady dose of lies, lying wonders. We played that clip last week from Fauci and then I forget the other White House uh, COVID uh, guru. But basically he was saying, they're, they're continuing with this line. Look, the only problem here is the unvaccinated. If you get the vaccine, you're in the clear. If you get the vaccine, you're going to be safe. If you get the vaccine, you're not going to die. This came out the day after we played that little montage for you. Washington Post. 
COVID is no longer mainly a pandemic of the vaccinated. Look at the language there. COVID, remember Joe Biden, all the others, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Here's the Washington Post. COVID is no longer mainly a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So what happened? When did that change? It was, a, it was a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now it's no longer a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Why? Well, that's a good question. I guess, I guess here's a case where the Washington Post actually looks at some of the facts. Maybe they should communicate these to the White House. It says here, vaccinated people now make up a majority of COVID deaths. <laughs> Just pause for a moment. Try to process it all. It's in the midst of lying wonders. But this is the Washington Post. Vaccinated people now make up a majority of COVID deaths. Well, then you add to this story all of the excess deaths. That's what the documentary Died Suddenly is exposing as well. What about this rise in excess deaths in the United States, in the U.K., in Australia, all these Western nations that have, in some cases, said you either get the jab or multiple jabs or you lose your job. And all of these excess deaths are now coming from people. You know, the COVID, if you get the COVID, the ones who could die from it, average age, I think, 82. But now you've got all of these excess deaths in, I mean, the working man's range, you know, age 30 to age 55. How do you explain this? Well, we can't even have a debate on that. Died suddenly, that's got to be blotted out. You can see it, by the way, on Rumble. 9.6 million people have viewed it. It's only been out there for, uh, I think, a week. 9.6 million. The truth is working its way out. Fauci's being exposed as the fraud that he is. Apolitical, really? He's a political hack. He's a bureaucrat, has been for 40 years. He's on the dole. He's a sellout. This is the truth. And if you say that about him, of course, he says to you, you're politically biased. You're a dirty Republican. You must be a Trump supporter. But me, I mean, I've never been political. No, no, I've always been above the fray. I'll be a straight shooter with you. Good for that lawyer, as I say, to have the book on the table during the deposition. The real, the real Anthony Fauci. Speaking of fake science, Anthony Borla, he's the, uh, he's the CEO of Pfizer. This is from Te the Daily Telegraph earlier this week. Dr. Borla claimed youngsters aged 5 to 11 benefited from vaccination but the pharmaceutical watchdog said the remarks misled the public. The CEO of Pfizer misled the public? Could that be possible? Pfizer's CEO has been wrapped by the UK's pharmaceutical watchdog for making misleading statements about children's vaccines, the Telegraph can disclose. Dr. Bullar used an interview with the BBC last December to claim that there is no doubt in my mind that the benefits completely are in favor of vaccinating youngsters age 5 to 11. See, they're going after the children now. Forget about all these side effects. Forget about all of these died suddenly. You know how they got the name for that documentary. It's, it's, if you Google it, died suddenly, you see all of these cases of people just keeling over. You've seen footage of it.
died suddenly. How do you explain it? It's just happening in the last two years. Well, maybe, maybe these people that produce a documentary, maybe they're stretching it a little bit as they try to connect the dots, but you can't deny that the one big change we've seen all across Western society, all across the pharmaceutical industry, all, all across Western medicine in the last two years has been the widespread use of the COVID vaccine in Australia, in Israel, in the UK, in the United States. And now we're getting all these reports of excess deaths among middle age or even young people. You would think there'd be a lot of prominent, prominent government and health officials saying, well, let's just hit the pause button and at least talk about this and at least consider these strange substances that these, these people carrying out autopsies are pulling out of the veins of dead people, the arteries of dead people. It says here, Borla, he argued that COVID in schools is thriving, adding, this is disturbing significantly the educational system and that there are kids that will have severe symptoms. The interview was published on December 2nd before the vaccine had been approved by Britain's medical regulator for this age group. Shortly after the article's publication, a complaint was submitted to the pharmaceutical watchdog. This group, um, it says here, and then further on, the complaint alleged that Dr. Borla's remarks about the children's vaccine were disgracefully misleading and extremely promotional in nature. He's trying to promote his drug because, well, if he sells more of the vaccines, that's good for the shareholders. It says in September 2021, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization had advised against a mass rollout for children ages 12 to 15, saying the margin of benefit was considered too small and citing the low risk of healthy children from, from the virus. It says, but less than a fortnight later, ministers gave the green light for youngsters to be given a single dose of the vaccine. It says further on, a code of practice panel convened by the PMCPA found that Pfizer had breached the code in a number of different ways, including by misleading the public, making unsubstantiated claims, and by failing to present information in a factual and balanced way. And yet, if you disagree with these people, if you disagree with them, you are to be blotted out. You are to be censored. Never mind if you work at MIT or formerly you and your whole family got the vaccine like this uh, Kirsch guy said on the documentary last night. Yeah, they were on board, have been, have been for years. They trusted the government. They took all the vaccines, including the first COVID one. And then they started to look into it. Then the facts started to come in. Now you see there's almost two years worth of data. And what's coming out, they're covering it up in the United States. But what's come out thus far in Israel in particular, it's damning evidence and it's exposing these government agencies as the politically biased hacks that they are. And it's more, it's more than just political bias. These people are lining their pockets with billions and billions of dollars, even as people are dying, even as people are suffering. In the last days, 
perilous times shall come. So said the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you haven't ordered America Under Attack yet, the toll-free number is one 930 3024. Operators are standing by. The email address, if you'd like to submit some feedback, td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. One third of your Bible is prophecy, and 90% of it is for our time today. This is why when you study Bible prophecy, you often read statements like, in that day, in the last days, and at the time of the end. Biblical prophecy is what makes the Bible so relevant to today, so essential to understanding our modern world. Most people, even in the world of religion, assume that nations like Britain, America, Germany, Russia, and China are not mentioned in Bible prophecy. But if prophecy is mainly for our time today, How could the Bible ignore some of the most powerful and prominent nations of today? The key to understanding prophecy is knowing the biblical identities of modern nations. Learn about these identities in Herbert W. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. In this book, you will learn about the astonishing identity of the American and British people in biblical prophecies. Request your free copy today. The United States and Britain in Prophecy. The Trumpet Daily. We heard a message here in Edmond over the weekend on the subject of going on the offensive. This is something we've uh, talked about from time to time on this show. This scripture here in Matthew 11 and verse 12, I love this verse because it really does encapsulate the whole offensive mindset that we need to have. It's Jesus where he says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent, the violent take it by force. The violent taking the kingdom of heaven by force? I mean, that's some strong language. That's military language. That's how we're to to take or to possess the kingdom? Daniel 7 and verse 22, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom of God. That word possessed, again, there's there's a strong military component. There's an offensive mindset wrapped up in the meaning there. Coming back to this verse in Matthew 11 and verse 12, the phrase suffers violence, it comes from one Greek word, which means forced or overpowered or taken by storm. So the violent, said Jesus, take the kingdom by storm. They take it by force. It's a spiritual war that we're in. Spiritual warfare, offensive warfare. James 4 says that we've got to draw near to God and and resist the devil. Fight against the devil, and then, we, then he'll flee from us. That's important. I mean, that's an offensive strategy. We're fighting against the devil. We're, we're taking the fight to our adversary. 
the Goodspeed translation renders this verse, Matthew 11 and verse 12. Men have been taking the kingdom of heaven by storm and impetuously crowding into it, you know, just kind of crowding your way in. You're not going to shut me out of this kingdom. I'm going forward. I'm going to work my way into it. That's a warrior-like spirit. And that's what we need in our battle against the devil. Look at all the warriors in Scripture. We don't take up arms in the physical sense. God's people don't do that. But we certainly do take up our spiritual sword. We do take up that sword of faith, as it says in Ephesians 6. And that's, that's an offensive weapon. And we have to go on the offensive. We have to act. This is what it says in the Expository Dictionary. Those who are possessed of eagerness and zeal, instead of giving up to the opposition, press their way into the kingdom. See, we've got to strive violently to enter into God's kingdom. You've got to go forward in this battle that we're in. We can't, we can't settle back into a defensive posture. We're on offense. We're taking the battle to Satan and his demon army. And they're now confined to this earth. So, I mean, the, the spiritual battle, it's certainly real for them. They're trying to destroy and blot out anyone and everyone they can. And, of course, they go after, as was brought out in the message we heard, they go after the weak. They go after the ones on the fringe. They go after the ones that are kind of drifting away from God's army. They're maybe distracted. Just back up. Let's get some context here in Matthew 11. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in, in, uh, in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist is referred to here. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, as it says in, in, uh, in Isaiah 40. And then verse 4 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus uh, points to all these miracles that uh, had been performed. It says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Drop down to verse 16. It says, But, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets, and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. I mean, it didn't play out exactly the way we thought that it should. They're just behaving like, like little children. Nothing would please them. Or, as I said in the first segment, they say one thing one day and the opposite the next. Uh, we've got to, I mean, we've got to be on solid ground spiritually. We've got to be on solid ground on the battlefield in order to go on the offensive. Verse 18, it says, For John, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man, Christ, came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. So no matter who it was, they found, they found things to criticize. They were never satisfied. 
They came up with lame excuses to reject, to reject one and then reject the other. Verse 11 again, it says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that were born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of, of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So we've got to know where we stand. That was brought out in the message we heard over the weekend. You know, if Satan comes in and surveys the scene and he's looking at the army he's going up against, God's army, you know, what will be his assessment of you individually, of where you stand, of how strong you are in your position, and whether or not you're going to go on the offensive or just retire back into a defensive posture or maybe be tossed to and fro. God wants us to go on the offense. You see how successful this can be in the world of sports. The Apostle Paul, he had all kinds of analogies with respect to sporting events. But you see, you see it play out over and over again. Right now the World Cup's going on, and if a team's taking it to them, they've got a much better chance of winning. And then if they, they get one goal, and they fall back into just playing defense the rest of the way. How many times has that failed? I guess not every single time. But more often than not, you see people, you see people sitting back in, in a defensive posture, and it works against them. Notice this verse. This is over in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke 16. It says in verse 16, The law and the prophets were until John, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. Similar to what we read over in Matthew 11. The kingdom of God is preached, and those that receive the gospel, they receive it, they digest it, it becomes part of them, and then they press to the kingdom. Paul said in Philippians 3, I press ahead toward the prize. I mean, that's offensive. I'm going after the prize. You can see the same thing over in 1 Corinthians 8 or 9, I think it is, where Paul said, look, I'm not beating in the air. He used the, the analogy of boxing. He's like, I'm not beating at the air aimlessly. I'm hitting my target. I'm going after the enemy. I'm on offense. I want to strike. I want to strike so that I can put my enemy on his back heels. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 1. And verse 3, I read this this morning in Epistles class. It says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. This was a congregation that Paul had to really correct strongly in the the first epistle and here he comes in with the second one and he's there he's wanting to give them comfort and consolation and encouragement and paul says to them look we've all gone through difficult times we've all had trials and tests along the way and and just just know this brethren that we in the ministry we've gone through these trials and tests so that we can help comfort you god wants us to be more empathetic and, and a lot there's a lot that can be said for for personal experience for enduring through trials and then learning to be more empathetic as a result. 
I'm here to give you comfort. Okay, I had to give correction in the first letter, but here's the comfort now. So long as you're repentant, look, we're on the road to recovery here. This is positive. There's growth. There's joy now in the congregation. And, and we're here in the ministry to help you, to help you rejoice, to be helpers of your joy. You can see that in verse 24. But notice, notice first verse 7. This is 2 Corinthians 1. And Paul says here in verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. I mean, you're going to have some sufferings. You're going to have some tests and trials. But don't get down about it. I mean, God's refining our character. And there's also going to be a lot of consolation and comfort and encouragement. Notice verse 8, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Interesting language used there, particularly when you think about Luke 16 and verse 16, and it talks about the true disciples of Christ pressing into the kingdom of heaven. And here the Apostle Paul talks about the trials that he and his fellow ministers withstood and went through, uh, thrust into the arena with wild beasts. They were pressed. Of course, this is God doing the pressing. They were pressed out of measure. They were bent out of shape. So this, this shows a God, a loving God, who really is working to motivate us, to drive us forward. Of course, he can't force us. Romans 8 says that as many are, as are led by the Spirit, we have to follow God's lead. But at the same time, God does thrust us into trials and tests from time to time because he's working to, to build that pressing mindset into our Christian lives. Taking the kingdom by violence. He wants us to go on the offensive. He wants us, as we've talked about so often on this show, he wants us to be courageous and bold. He wants us to be fighters for him in so much that we despaired even of life. I mean, that's a pretty sore trial. Pressed out of measure, above strength. Does God want you to be fired up over his word? Now, there's a lot to be said for tact and, and obviously patience, wisdom for sure. We do have to wait on God at times and let him lead. God doesn't want us to get out in front of him, for sure. But he certainly does love that, that fighting, courageous spirit. And he offers encouragement all along the way to really help us become more bold, more, uh, more courageous, more offensively minded. And a lot of the old patriarchs of old and the prophets and the others, they, they were timid and, and afraid. Look at Jonah running away from his responsibility. The prophet Jeremiah, he protested his commission in Jeremiah 1. He said, I'm too young. I'm, I'm just but a youth. And God said, look, don't be fear. Don't be fearful. You be fearless and I'll back you up. And he says it, he says it in Je Jeremiah 1. You can read it in Jeremiah 15. It's, it's all through the book, really. God just constantly reinforcing the principle of going on offense and, and, and then reassuring these prophets of old. I'll be with you. I'll give you strength. And I'll fight against your enemies. Read Ezekiel 2. 
You see it, as I say, all through the writings of these prophets of old. They were ordinary men. Their faith wavered. Elijah wanted to go off and die. He was so discouraged. And God's had to fill him with strength again and give him that courage to stand strong for God, to go on offense. Notice these few verses at the beginning of 2 Timothy 2. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Make sure you get out there and you look for faithful men who can follow in these steps and be courageous and bold and lead. You've got to develop leaders who are willing to go on offense. That's how we keep the continuity there in these generational, uh, you know, one generation to the next in God's church, in God's family. Verse 3, it says, You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier, of Jesus Christ. Suffer hardship with me. That's what the Greek means there. Just suffer. Christ says, look, hey, you want to be a good soldier? Come on, come on into the battlefield here. Come on into this regiment and be willing. Just be willing to suffer a little bit with me. I mean, Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus suffered. Jesus sweat blood in his spiritual battle. And so he says to us, now follow in those steps, follow that example, follow my lead, and you'll be glorified together with me as well. Verse 4, it says, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Are we more concerned about pleasing men, or are we more concerned about pleasing our chief commander, Jesus Christ? We want to, we're out on the battlefield fighting for him, fighting for a cause, fighting for the work of God. So don't be entangled in the affairs of this life. If we put our hope in that, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to end up miserable. It's so much more rewarding and, and, and in the end joyous to fight for God, to fight for God's church, to fight for the truth. Verse 5 says, And if a man also strive for masteries, Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully? See, same kind of a word. Strive. Press. Take it violently. Go forward. And in the end, you will be crowned. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, the 800 number, one 930 We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>